everyone. This is the Everything Went Black podcast. This abysmal week is finally over and it's Friday. It was a long week. That's the life of a working man, I guess. And um, yeah, glad the week's over. The weekend is here. I get to work half a day on Fridays, which is really cool. I tried to make it to uh, Muay Thai today. I looked online and it said class started at 1 p.m., which uh, gives me enough time to get over to the gym. But when I got there, everyone was wrapping up. But uh, Coach Mike said that after one, it's open mat. They change the uh, the time from 1 p.m. to noon every day. I usually train at night, so uh, going during the day is not the usual thing. And uh, I don't, you know, it's sometimes at these places, there's like people that have been training there for years that you never meet because they go during the day and you go at night. So I didn't recognize anyone that was there except for one guy and uh, definitely the coach. So, so I got in a really good workout on open mat, jumped some rope. I got one of those heavy duty tie ropes, which is really good for your shoulders and just makes jumping rope even harder than it normally is. Did some rounds on the bag, did many rounds on the bag actually. Got in like a good solid hour of training, even though it was on my own, I still feel like I got a really good uh, session in. Did some food shopping, spent way too much money on uh, lunch. There's a, uh, I went to Greenpoint actually, my old neighborhood to get lunch and buy groceries. There's a vegan restaurant there called the Jungle Cafe. It used to be located on Manhattan Avenue, and now it relocated to a different space on Greenpoint Avenue. And um, yeah, I know, vegan, right. I'm not technically, actually, I'm not a vegan at all, so I'm not even saying technically. However, I do go days without eating any animal protein. I eat a lot of vegetables, rice, quinoa, olive oil, all that kind of stuff. Now, this place is cool. Um... It's definitely the kind of place where I don't fit in. I feel alienated when I walk in. I'm surrounded by people that I really probably wouldn't have a whole lot in common with to put things nicely. But the food is pretty good. They have this buffet style there. Um, you know, I avoided, I mean, if you want to get the fake meat stuff like the seitan chicken, uh, you know, the tofu uh lasagna the fake cheese like all that kind of garbage you're you're you can get that there and uh but i I keep it simple i stick with the basics rice beets shredded carrots kale you know that kind of thing black beans they have a very nice uh ginger carrot dressing there which i like to put on all that stuff now i've only eaten here a handful of times in my entire life. The reason why I ate there is because since I don't live in Greenpoint anymore, I'm not used to getting out of the train station at the correct exit. You can exit on India Street or on Greenpoint Avenue. My original plan was to eat lunch at the Eagle Trading Company, which is like a sandwich spot, which you can get sandwich, coffee, you know, iced coffee, that kind of thing for like 12 bucks. You know, very economical, especially in Brooklyn, where, you know, everything's expensive. I got out at the Greenpoint Avenue 
exit. And I was like, you know what, man? You know, it's uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hit this um, jungle cafe place. You know, change it up a little bit. So anyway, it's buffet style. I loaded up my my tray, got some food. Oh, hey, look at that! They have kombucha on tap here. So I filled up a bottle of kombucha. I went to the to the counter. You know, it's by weight. The total was thirty four dollars. That was like a very expensive lunch. More expensive than the lunches I typically get at work in Manhattan. Anyway, the lesson learned here was that all of that stuff are things that I normally eat at home. So for actually a fraction of that cost, I can prepare everything in my kitchen. So the takeaway is think about what you're actually going to eat. Think about if you can make it at home and do a better job of making it and then go from there. So anyway, that was my afternoon. The day's finally over. I'm home. I've uh, changed into shorts. I'm drinking some water and I'm talking to you guys. You got some news. We have a release date for the new Tombs record. Now, I'm probably breaking all kinds of rules right here. I know that labels always like to make a big announcement. They like to get press involved. They like to make a big deal like somehow, you know, this is like, uh, you know, an announcement for some major, uh, you know, happening. But records come out every week. This is just another record that's coming out every week. It just happens to be a record that I play on and wrote a lot of the material on the record. So um, you guys who have been listening, and I appreciate all of you. I mean, we've been, I've been doing this for a while. And even if you're a habitual, uh, you know, you, you, you listen to this every time one of these comes out, that's great. If you're a new listener, even better. Or if you're someone who just checks in from time to time, I still appreciate you. And I consider you all part of this kind of inner circle of people that give a, give a shit about what's going on in, in, the, in the life of tombs and the various uh, attempts at creativity that I have in the world. So anyway, the new tombs record. Release date, February 28th, 2020. So it's early next year. The title of the record is Monarchy of Shadows, and it's coming out on Season of Mist. And I'm really proud of all the material that's on there. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, was, it was a lot of, it was incredibly easy to write this record. It was incredibly easy to record this record. And I think, and I, I didn't write everything on the album. Um, you know, Matt Medeiros. Actually, let me give you a rundown of who's in the band because some of you out there might be scratching your head. Uh, it's like, well, geez, man, every time I see these guys play live, there's a different set of dudes in the band. And I apologize for that, but this is a rough business we're in, man. Rock and roll is a rough business. So anyway, we have Justin Spath on drums. We have Drew Murphy on bass and vocals. We have Matt Medeiros on guitar and vocals. And then you got me, guitar and vocals. And uh, all these guys write. All these guys contribute in a very major way. Everyone carries their weight in this band. The three of them have known each other for decades. They've all played in bands together before. 
uh, Calopsia is one particular band they played in, Hammer Fight. Uh, all these guys have got tons of experience. Actually, this weekend, uh, Matt's other band, Ruinous, is playing at this death metal festival at Brooklyn Bazaar, and Drew is playing in bass in that band. So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of this little crew of uh, New Jersey-based guys, and, uh, and then me, sort of interloping in on this party. Since, uh, you know, I'm one of these guys who doesn't really have a lot of friends, so I kind of latch on to other people's friends. That's, that's just my style, I guess. Anyway, everyone's pulling their weight. There's a great vibe in the band. Uh, you know, we've toured together. We've written songs together. We've spent a lot of time in the practice space together, and so far everything's cool. Really excited about this album. It's an EP. Well, actually, it's an EP, sorry. The LP is in, currently in the works right now. That will be released on Season of Mist as well. We're hoping to get it recorded next year. And uh, this EP is just uh, sort of a preview of what's going to be on the record. The only other Tombs record that I actually can listen to from start to finish is our other EP, believe it or not. Well, our, our second EP, uh, All Empires Fall. That record is probably my second favorite thing that we've ever done. My favorite thing is this record we just finished that's going to be released. The first thing we ever did, that EP that came out way back when, uh, you know, with Carson on bass is, uh, you know, sort of a sketch pad of what the band would, would become. And, um, you know, that's, that's a great first attempt at doing a band, I think. <clears throat> and without that record... You know, I wouldn't be sitting here telling you guys about this record. So that has its place in the rich tapestry of tombs. I'm also working on another project called Scorpion Throne. And um, I've got four songs written for that. Justin is going to be playing drums on that. And uh, I'm doing everything else. And, you know, it's one of these things that I entered into with a completely open mind. I mean, I've been doing tombs for over 10 years and, you know, the project started out with literally no expectation as to doing anything beyond just making some recordings in the practice space and sharing it with my friends. So things have definitely gone a lot further than that, which is, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that because I honestly... You know, back when I was in my 20s, if you told me that I would be 51 years old and putting this kind of thing together, going out on the road and playing shows and all that sort of stuff, I would call you a liar. I had no inkling that I'd be still doing this stuff, but I am. And I guess the takeaway from that is like, hey, I'm just not going to stop. So anyway, I'm getting off topic here. The scorpion throne stuff is something that i'm approaching with no expectations i just sat down one day i started writing music and whatever came out was going to come out there's some electronic sort of ambient stuff going on there there's some very shoegaze influenced black metal similar to 
the aforementioned Tombs EP. Actually, it's more similar to the split that we did with Planks. I think that record came out after the first Tombs EP, and uh, that split with Planks, the material that we provided on that record, is kind of similar to the stuff that Scorpion Throne is uh, is about. It's kind of mining those same landscapes, and and I think that sound is something I really enjoy, but in the last few years, kind of gotten away from that sound. So Scorpion Throne, I think, uh, will give me an outlet to do that kind of thing again. You know, just like noisy layers of guitar and reverb, you know, the screamed vocals, like clean vocals, like very dark, that kind of thing. There's also some straight up abrasion on that on this uh, EP or whatever demo that I'm making. So, uh, you know, there's no rush to finish it. I'm doing it when I have time in my free time. I'm I'm doing this stuff, but the scratch guitars are done. We got a Pro Tools session ready to roll. Uh, we're gonna be probably tracking drums over the next few weeks, putting more guitars on there, doing some vocals and mixing, and I'm probably gonna have literally i'm not i'm not putting this online so there's never going to be a band camp well actually you know what let me not let me never say never because my immediate plans do not include having a band camp page or any of that kind of stuff or even a label to put this out i'm going to be making cds and uh you're you're going to have to if you're interested email me and i'll give it to you i'm not trying to sell these things when we play shows, they will be available at the shows. I will hand you one if you ask for one. If you contact me, I will mail you one. I'm about the tactile experience with this thing. And I, I just want to make it personal. I want to make it tactile. I don't care if anyone likes it. I, I like it. And I don't care if it ever gets properly released or if there's any future I might make these four songs and that might be the end of it. You know, I don't think that will be the end of it, but I might do these four tracks. I might make this demo. I might hand them out to some people and I might never do anything with this again. You know, we'll see. I'm leaving it at that. But yeah, if you're interested, um, you know, hit me up. I'll let everyone know when it's done. And, uh, you know, I'll mail you one of these things. I promise you the, the CD will look cool. There'll be something cool about it, something minimal but cool. And I can't guarantee you're going to like it, but at least, um, you know, you know, give it, give it a chance. You know what I mean? Give, give, it, a, give it a shot. Give it a listen. And uh, you don't have to let me know if you not like it or not because I, I kind of don't care really. <laughs> so anyway, the crux of this episode and, and I never really do this in, in per se. It's like when, whenever, whenever a celebrity or a musician passes away, it's like a private thing with that person and his family. And the fact that they're a public figure um, is kind of irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like it's newsworthy that so-and-so passes away, so-and-so died. You know, their fans will never get any more material from that person, you know, an actor or musician or whatever. But... When Rick Ocasek died, it sort of, it hit me. The same way that when Chris Cornell died, it hit me. Yet, I didn't feel compelled to put an episode together dedicated to Chris Cornell. 
because um yeah I don't know at that time there was there was a very dark vibe surrounding his death and uh you know there were some unknowns and um Chris Cornell like Soundgarden is is one of my all-time favorite bands and I think Chris Cornell is like one of the greatest singers in all of rock music I think that he is as equally as good as any of these rock singers Dio Robert Plant um you know any of these guys I mean he will go down in rock history as one of the all-time greatest vocalists in my opinion the cars are like a I mean, I know they're massive and they've had hit singles and all this sort of stuff, but they're, they're a, their profile is a little bit more subtle. You know, Rick Ocasek put out all these great records. He was a producer. He produced The Bad Brains, which is a, you know, a, a sort of post-Cars like, claim to fame. I know people that have worked with him uh, on the press wor- in the press sort of angle. And they've all reported back to me that he was an excellent person, a family man, very kind. And uh, yeah, so I mean, all these factors came into play when I discovered that he died. And what made it even more poignant was that several years prior, Benjamin Orr Orr passed away. And I got to admit, I know that Rick, it was the cars were Rick's sort of brainchild you know he was the man behind the scenes but i kind of for me personally i like the ben Orr songs a little bit better those are my favorite ones with the exception of uh since you're gone which is one of my all-time favorite cars tracks now back in the 80s when i was a kid you know i was uh very impressionable by some of these older older guys i know older guys that i knew Particularly, there was this kid, Ron McCarthy, a few, few years older than me. I considered him to be something, somewhat of a aficionado on music. He turned me on to bands like Rush, Deep Purple, Yes. Um, yes, I am a Yes fan. That's a very important band in the progressive music world, I believe. Yes and King Crimson. So make fun of me if you want. I think they're cool. I did not like them initially because of the vocals, but you cannot mess with Steve Howe's guitar playing and just the overall composition of their of their songs. Tales of Topographical Oceans is an epic. So anyway, Ron turned me on to a lot of this stuff, you know, hard rock music. You know, as a young kid, you know, learning about all this stuff, figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like. And then there was this thing called New Wave, which... I didn't really understand fully, you know, I, I, you know, there was not a lot of access to things. Like I didn't grow up in New York city. I grew up in this like small town called Carmel, New York. And, you know, there was, there was like things you heard on the radio. Um, mostly you got your information from your friends, from people that knew things that you didn't know. And they imparted this, knowledge onto you so anyway this guy turned me on to the cars candio and i was particularly impressed by the cover of the record you know depicting this like sexy redhead laying out with this like slinky black outfit on the top of a car and that was a very intense image for me as a young man 
and um, I was like, wow, these guys, like, I'm feeling all these feelings. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't fully understand. You know, and, and at that age, I think I was probably 13 years old. Women, women were this mystery. You know, they were, they were girls in my grade that were changing. I was changing. You know, there were girls I grew up with that I went to high school with, that I went to grade school with, and now at that age, their bodies were changing. They were looking not exactly like this sexy redhead stretched out across the front of this car, but they were approximating that image. So it was the perfect storm of the explosion of hormones and the assault of my visual cortex that made me interested in Candio by the cars. And um, so I checked out the record. It was loaned to me, and uh, I spent some time with it. And I was like, oh, so this is new wave music. And uh, I, I don't really, you know, as time goes on, I'm not exactly sure if the cars will be definers of say the new wave explosion in the same way that a band like the b-52s were you know i still think that as time goes on and i have a different perspective on this that the cars will still be a rock and roll band you know they had like you know elliot easton is an incredible guitar player man and um yeah i think that there is they're a guitar-based band you know and they had synths, yes, but they relied on drums, bass, and guitar, you know, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, the B-52s had a great guitarist as well, but their whole trip was completely different, you know, it's like the cars were, like I said, a rock band, the B-52s were pushing the envelope in a completely different direction, you know, they were, uh, you know, working in a world, this like subterranean, um, you know, world. And I feel like the cars were going for gold with radio hits. So anyway, those are my first impressions of the cars. And as a young man becoming more and more interested in the opposite sex, a lot of their material, a lot of their greatest songs had to do with heartbreak and longing and, uh, you know, and I know that Rick Ocasek was behind all this stuff. So, though Benjamin Orr had the silver voice, I feel like Rick Ocasek maybe was the guiding force on all this stuff. Like, he was the one who was expressing himself clearly, all these feelings of heartbreak. And uh, that music really moved me as a young kid. And um, so, yeah. Flash forward, fast forward a few years, uh, I have my first proper girlfriend. And, um, you know, I mean, it was no big thing. It was, uh, you know, I remember this, this uh, young lady, we'll call her, let's see, I don't want to use her real name just in the off chance that somebody might know who she is. Let's call her Jane. <laughs> So anyway, Jane was a friend of another girl that I knew, and our families were really, really tight. 
and she was like, you know, Mike, my friend Jean, she thinks you're you're cute, and you know that she wants to maybe like, you know, she's she would like for you to ask her out, you know. So anyway, you know, I asked her out. We were girlfriend and boyfriend for, you know, I don't know. I was like 15 years old, I think, at the time. So there's not much, you know, there, there's really not much you can do at that age. I mean, for me, I went to school. I saw her in school. Um, you know, I went to some sort of athletic thing after school. And then I, my dad picked me up and I went home. I ate. I did my homework. I watched TV and I went to bed. That was basically it. You know what I mean? Talked on the phone. The weekends came around. I was unleashed on the weekends, and maybe we did some things. But there was not a whole lot that went on between the two of us. And that's why, like, looking back, this was, like, a very trivial thing. But at the time, it was so intense and poignant. The fact that, you know, there was a, there was a, a, a woman quote unquote out there that was interested in me and you know at that age you're 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 going nuts like you're going crazy you're you're being like attacked by your hormones and you're free flowing with testosterone and it felt like prior to that it felt like this distant dream this longing for an unattainable you know, place. And, um, you know, I felt like I was validated because this other, this young lady was interested in me. So anyway, yeah, that, that, that's the environment I'm in. There was the, uh, was it the prom or something like that? She was a year older than me too, which is like, I know it's only a year, man, but like when you're 15, the fact that there's an older woman out there that's interested in you is like an extra you know, feather in your cap, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, so there's this, like, older lady, older woman interested in, in me, a kid, you know, an underclassman, no less. So it was either a prom or some kind of semi-formal thing that happened, and I went with her as the date. And I found out that, Though she was interested in me, there was also a um, romance, <laughs> a potential romance that she was also playing. You know, in, she was in this like thing, this love triangle, I guess, for lack of a better term. And uh, it was a kid that I knew. He was a friend. He was within my circle. Um, we'll call him Ralph. And uh, he was a kid that I knew from the weight room, and like he was friends of of uh, friends that I had, and I, I thought he was a cool guy, you know. But now there's this like uh, you know hunter gatherer conflict going on, this this battle of alphas, you know. And the whole thing was just very intense and very. Um, I just didn't know how to handle it because it was the first time I'd been involved in something like this. So. We go to this event, and he's there with another date. I'm there with her, yet they end up sort of, they end up together. I got pissed off, and I just bailed, you know? And 
another guy who was the boyfriend of her of Jane's friend that our you know whose family my family was tight with he and I caught up with each other and we went to this diner in Brewster called Bob's Diner and we just sat there and talked about it and I, you know I was angry I was just like why did she why did Jane get me involved in all this why didn't she just go with this other dude you know what I mean like that kind of thing very intense very very uh you know just silly too but intense and the, the thing I remember the most out of the whole situation is sitting at Bob's diner which still to this day is open and it's not I mean it's not it's no it's no great thing really I mean it's the town of Brewster, New York, is uh, on the Metro North, and Bob's Diner is right by the train station, and it's one of these like old school, you know, it looked like the kind of silver exterior. There was a counter, and like maybe four, you know, four tables there. It was like this tiny little thing. I believe it was open 24-7, and um, we were there really late at night. You know, this typical thing, man. There's like, I think all diners have the same playlist. You know, the Flamingos, Buddy Holly, you know, the Shirelles. Old music that is being broadcast to you from a dead time in the past. And uh, so I remember very vividly hearing the flamingos playing that night. And uh, yeah, so, you know, we hung out. I felt a little bit better. I drank some coffee. I might have had like some pie. At the time, I was really into apple pie a la mode. And then I went home. It was late. I had a horrible time. I was uh, doubting myself. So the next day, I had spent the entire day laying in a hammock at my grandmother's house. And the, I had a, my little cassette radio with me. And the song that I kept listening to over and over again was Drive by the Cars. And uh, that, that was the standout record. That was the standout song on that record, I think. And yeah, just feeling it living through it and that track is like one of my all-time favorite jams by the cars so anyway i like to thank rico Kasich for making all this music music that was important to me and helped me out on that day as a young man who had had his heart broken for the first time and um yeah i'm just gonna say that Rick Ocasek was a force in rock music. And I'm going to miss his output. And um, I hope that whatever beliefs you guys have, that, uh, you know, whatever, you, whatever happens to us after we leave this mortal coil, that Rick is in a good place.
Who's going?